Welcome to the Siski Christian Fellowship Podcast. Our prayer is that the following verse-by-verse teaching of God's Word would bring you closer to Jesus. There's always this temptation that we have as uh, human beings in our carnal nature that we can sometimes think more highly of ourselves than we should. Sometimes we can just think that we are better than we are at one thing or another. And that works out great until it doesn't. And then there's always that, that moment when that just doesn't work out. When reality kind of hits us right in the face. <laughs> we get that wake-up call. And I remember when I was in the sixth grade. Man, I was in this band we called the Black Roses. It was amazing. It was so great. We were like a, a mixture of like Motley Crue, Guns N' Roses, and Poison. We, we had this hair band thing going. And it was the greatest thing because we'd be walking in the hallway at school and people were like, hey, you're that guy in that band, right? Like, that's right, Black Roses. You want an autograph? Or, you know, we just thought we were amazing. And then we had this opportunity to sing, to perform. We were asked. We had an official gig to, to sing at Western Days there at Jackson Street School. And we thought, oh, man, this is going to be great. And uh, we really should have rehearsed. <laughs> we really should have rehearsed. So we, uh, we decided that we were going to do Take It Easy by the Eagles. Uh, simple song, easy to follow. Uh, I should have learned it uh, probably a little bit sooner than the morning of. And so we, we get to the point to where we're, we're called out. And I, Black Rose, they're like, oh, everyone's freaking out. We're like, yeah, here we go. Let's do this thing. And, and the drummer, my, he was my best buddy in high school, Keith Kirkpatrick, or in uh, sixth grade, Keith Kirkpatrick. He's actually a, a pastor now, believe it or not. But he gets the beat going, and, and I start to strum. And then I realize that I can't remember any of the words. I've got the chords down, so I'm just, I'm just strumming and then panic. And you know how it is. The more you panic, the more you forget. And so... I turned to him, thinking that the microphone was off, so I'm like, Keith, I forgot the words. But that just rang out across all of the day. Keith, I forgot the words. So in one moment, I go from the guy like, hey, you're that guy in the band, right? To, hey, Keith, you forgot the words. I'm like, oh, no, man, it was just terrible. Uh, very humbled in that moment. Uh, and, you know, we're going to see in this chapter tonight that the church of Corinth thought more highly of themselves than they should have, more highly of themselves than they ought to. In the church at Corinth, it was kind of a race to the top. Remember, they were constantly comparing themselves to each other. They were uh, putting others down to elevate themselves, and they had applied the ideologies of their materialistic culture to their church life. It was a race to the top to see who could be number one, to see who could be the best. But we know that that is not God's heart, that's not God's plan for his people and for the church. Matthew 19 tells us, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first. They had everything backwards. Corinth, the church there, they had all sorts of things. Not only were they filled with pride, were they puffed up, were they cutting others down, but they were dealing with the divisions that we've talked about so often. Paul's going to get into their issue of sexual immorality and, and they were just messed up. And this letter that Paul writes them really is a letter of correction. And Paul is going to kind of give them a spiritual whooping. And we're going to see Paul tonight gets serious with the church of Corinth. But it's fitting that he does. It's fitting that he brings correction to the church because it's something that we see Jesus do. 
Think about Revelation, the beginning of that book, chapters 2 and 3. There's this portion where Jesus writes these letters to churches that really existed in that day in Asia Minor. And Jesus writes these letters to these seven churches, and five of the seven churches needed to be corrected, and Jesus brought correction to them. Remember, there were uh, things that the Lord would say, this, you know, you've done well, and these are the things that I have against you. And there were a few churches where Jesus couldn't even say, these are the things that you're doing well. And so Jesus brought to the churches correction. What that tells me is that Jesus is concerned with the state of the church. That tells me that Jesus is concerned with the way that we do this, what we're doing tonight and what we do on Sunday, that he has a purpose and a plan in it. And you know what really is kind of uh, an eye-opener for me as a pastor is you say, well, you know, how long was it from the cross to the correction letter that, that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth? Not very long. How long was it between the, the, the cross and the letters that Jesus wrote to the churches in Asia Minor? Not very long at all. How long was it between Paul's visit to Corinth when the, the church was planted to this letter that he writes correcting them? And my point is it didn't take them very long to get sideways. It didn't take them very long at all. And so the, the Corinthians... As I mentioned, we're a very prideful group. And one of the most prideful things that we can say as a church body is, well, that would never happen to me. That would never happen to us here. These things that we're reading about uh, in the, the book of 1 Corinthians, these things that Paul is correcting that church about, the worst thing that we could do is say, well, that's not for us. We, that would never happen to us. The scriptures have been given to us as an example that we might look into them and study through them, that, that we would see the errors of the Corinthian church and that we would be on guard. Because here's the truth. It's easy for us to get it sideways. It's easy for us to get our priorities messed up. It's easy for us to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto other things and to allow in what shouldn't be. And so we are to be vigilant let us not be those who say, oh, this is for them and this could never happen to us. Let us be those who say, all right, boy, this is a warning that Paul gave. We're going to listen up and we're going to stand on guard to make sure that this thing doesn't happen to us. We're going to pay attention tonight. And so verses 1 and 2 we covered on Sunday. And so we'll just briefly go over those to, to bring us up to speed. Verse 1 says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And so we kind of talked about this on Sunday. When, when Paul says, consider us, who is Paul talking about? Paul is saying, consider us as in himself and Apollos and Peter. Remember, again, they were at the center of this conflict that was taking place in the church at Corinth. They were at the, the center of of this division that was taking place. Remember, they were broken up into groups, the, the Paul group and the Apollos group and the Peter group and the, the Jesus-only group. And so uh, Paul in chapter 3, remember, he, he reminds them uh, in Corinth, those who are in the midst of this big kind of division and this debating, he says, hey, don't forget that we're all on the same team. Speaking of Apollos and Paul and, and Peter, saying, you know, you guys, the church, you guys are the field. 
uh, us, uh, Apollos and, and Paul and, my, or, and Peter and myself, we are, we are the, the farmers uh, tilling and, and planting. Uh, you guys are the, the, the building, and we're the builders. We're building on the foundation of Jesus. In other words, what Paul said in chapter 3 was, you Corinthians, you have it all. All is yours. Apollos, Paul, Peter is yours. You have everything you need to thrive in the Lord. Everything is yours. And Paul says uh, here, consider us, those who are leading you, those who are all on the same team, those who are all working to build you up and grow you in the Lord. Consider us what, does he go on to say? He says, uh, consider us ministers and stewards. And we looked at that a little bit on Sunday morning. What does that mean? And we talked about kind of uh, uh, applying that to our lives, uh, that we are ministers of the word as Christians, that we're stewards of the good news that God has given us. But that word, uh, just to, to remind us, and for those of, who, uh, those of us who weren't here, that word for ministers of Christ uh, in the Greek is huperetes, which is hupo, under, and uretes, rower. So Paul says, call us under rowers, which is literally the guys who are down in the bottom of the ships, chained to the oars, rowing in that dark, stinky a uh, sweaty place. But the whole point was, is that those men were men who followed their captain wherever the captain would go. The captain was charting the course. The under rowers were just rowing and following his lead. Uh, they were willing to go wherever he called them to go. Uh, and, and that was just it. They, they, they rowed to the beat of his drum and they weren't charting their own destiny. And that was kind of what Paul was saying. But not only ministers, not only servants, but also stewards. Now, stewards is a little bit different. Stewards were entrusted with something. They were entrusted with the, the master's wealth or, uh, you know, with the master's uh, servants and his, his whole household, really. And Paul says, man, not only are we to be those who are willing to go anywhere or do anything that we're following the Lord with our whole lives, but we're going to be held accountable someday for what was entrusted to us. A steward was one who was entrusted with the master's uh, livelihood, with his uh, household. And there would be uh, a reckoning. He would have to give an account to the master. And Paul says, man, we are stewards. We've been entrusted with the mysteries of God. And we talked about what the mysteries of God is. It's, it's the word. It's the, the gospel. It's the, it's the truth of the word. Um, the gospel message, the cross, it's something that really was not understood clearly in the Old Testament. We can look back to the Old Testament now, and looking back, boy, we can see it so clearly, all the pictures and stories. But when they were in the midst of it, it was very difficult to, to understand exactly what was meant. So it was a mystery. But not only uh, are we talking about the mysteries of the Old Testament like we've talked about, but think about just salvation for a minute. That our sins have been transferred to Jesus. That he paid our debt on the cross and then he transferred his righteousness to us that we might be made right with God. How many of you guys, I mean, are you kidding me? What That is a mystery. I don't know how that works. I'm glad that it works. I'm glad for it. But what a mystery that is. So the, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of salvation, that's what, what Paul is saying we have been entrusted to as the leaders of the church. That's what I have been entrusted with as the pastor of this congregation. 
the, the, the discernment and the dispersion of God's truth. And that comes with a weighty responsibility. So the Bible says is that you should, not many should really desire to be teachers because there's this level of accountability that will be higher for those who are teachers uh, than the, the average Joe who goes to church. And I'll be honest with you, that sometimes keeps me awake at night. And that's why sometimes I pray at the end of a sermon, Lord, let them forget everything that was of me and remember everything that was of you. Those things that I said, Lord, that were just off, please, let us not even remember them past the door uh, because there is that responsibility. But, but Paul is laying this out. He's saying, consider us, the leaders of the, the early church. Consider us to be servants and to be stewards, handling the truth of, of God's word, uh, the mysteries of, of God's word. And then we, we spend a, a kind of a, a, a good deal of time on Sunday talking about the, one of the most important characteristics of a steward is to be faithful. If you're going to be put in charge of things, you need to be dependable. And we talked about what that means. What does it mean to be faithful? What does it look like? How, does that, how do we live that out in our lives to be faithful unto the Lord? What are the, the, the dangers of being faithless, and how do we find our way back from being faithless? And, and that's what we talked about on Sunday, which brings us up to speed. And so now we are in verse 3 of chapter 4, and now we're, we're, we're in new territory, uncharted waters here. Well, it's not for me. I studied this out earlier, so maybe you did too, hopefully. Verse 3, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court, Paul says. In fact... I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. So Paul, in this next section, he deals with judgment. And he, he deals with three types of judgment. He deals with uh, people judging other people. Paul says, uh, you know, I'm not worried about other people judging me. Uh, Paul deals with his own self-judgment, which we can all relate to. And then Paul deals with the judgment that's the most important, is that uh, judgment of God, that God is the, the true judge. He's the only one, the only judge that really matters. And so Paul starts off this section by talking about man's judgment. And he says, I care very little about man's judgment. And in the Greek, very little means the smallest of the small. I care the smallest of the small uh, about men's uh, critical, judgmental heart towards me. Now, remember, Paul is kind of defending his ministry a little bit. Because in Corinth, there were those who were for him, but then there were those who were against him and for Apollos, and those who were against Apollos and Paul and for Peter. And so Paul is, you know, dealing with critics. And here's the thing. You know what? If you are going to be in ministry, you are going to deal with critics. And I tell people this all the time. If I spent my time trying to answer the critics or to uh, make amends with people who are upset with me, then that's almost all I would do with my time is there's always somebody that's upset about something. And that's because I have the privilege of proclaiming God's word. And God's word is sharp and it's powerful and, and, and it affects our lives. And sometimes you ever hear the, the, 
the phrase, don't kill the messenger. Sometimes people want to shoot the messenger. But Paul here, he's, he's dealing with a great deal of, of judgment coming from the people of Corinth. And he says, hey, you know what? I'm not going to let the opinions and the judgmental attitudes of others uh, bug me or, or get me down or bother me or, or get me off track. Paul, man, he was living his life and his soundtrack was, ain't nothing going to break in my stride, ain't nothing going to hold me down. Anytime I get the opportunity to sing that song, I feel like I, I got to take advantage of it. But Paul wasn't letting other people's judgment towards him get him down. And that's a good word for us. That can be such a problem for us, not just in ministry, but in life. Uh, that we can, we can worry so much about what other people think about us. And, and here's a, a way to tell. Are you one who worries about what people think about you? When you get that, that random phone call and someone's like, hey, I was in the neighborhood. I'm just going to stop, stop by real quick and, and drop something off for you. You're like, oh, oh no. We got to, you know, clean up the house and we got to get this in order and we got to straighten this up and kids be on your best behavior. So-and-so is dropping in or, I mean, sometimes we, we can straighten things up and, and sometimes it really is for their benefit. Like I don't want people to, to wander into, you know, the filth of my office, but sometimes it's because we're worried about what people might think of us very often. My grandmother, who's with Jesus now, my Grammy, she would go nowhere without makeup. I never saw that woman without makeup a day in my life. I don't know how, I don't know if she slept with makeup on, if it was tattooed onto her face or whatever, but she's, I'm not going anywhere without my face. She called it her face. She's so worried about what people would think of her without her makeup. And I wonder how much of, you know, our lives is dictated by what people think. The things we say or the things we do or the places we go or the things that we wear how much of that are, are we worried about what people uh, might think of us because that is such a trap and you look at the modern world that we live in with social media all social media is is people putting their very best lives out there 100% of the time very rarely do you see like a selfie where the, the sink is full of dishes and the baby is crying in the background and the dog is chewing up a stuffed animal. There's no selfie of any mac and cheese dinners. Hey, check it out. I'm having top ramen. No, we take pictures of the sushi and say, oh, man, that's so great. Look, they have sushi and steak every single night. No, no, they don't. They have, I guarantee they have some, some top ramen every now and then. If you're not, you're missing out. I love top ramen. It's a side note. But it, it's a total trap to fall into that. Proverbs 29, 25 tells us that the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. Worrying what other people think about us, it trips us up. And Paul says, I'm not going to, to worry about that. I'm not going to worry about it. Now, does that mean that we don't worry about what people think about us at all? Well, no. I mean, we should care a little bit. We, there, there's parts where we need to consider other people's feelings, and we don't want to stumble a brother or sister. But Paul says, I care very, very little. It, it, I'm not losing any sleep about it at night. And there's an old saying that says, you wouldn't worry about what people think about you if you realized how little they actually think about you. And that really is the truth. And so Paul says, man, I, I'm not going to worry about other people judging me. That's number one. But that kind of raises a, a question. So, you know, Jesus said that we are not to judge one another, right? So does that mean that we're never to judge each other? 
And you say, well, is this a trick question? I feel like you're setting me up. It is one of those things because Jesus says there in Matthew chapter 7, he says, judge not lest you be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? And look, a plank is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I love this. this is, you know, this is a funny scene, if you ask me. Because you have a guy with a plank. Now, imagine a plank. That's a board. It's a big board. Imagine an individual with a plank out of their eye. You think they would have more things to worry about than the speck of dust in their brother's it, it's, it's comical. See, obviously, bro, you've got your own problems. You worry about the two-by-four in your own face, and then maybe I'll, I'll let you help me get the speck of sand out of my own eye. Jesus is saying, don't be hypocritical. Don't judge people when you've got your own things that you're dealing with. But that word that Jesus uses for judge doesn't mean judge their intents or their actions. It means don't judge their eternal destination. Don't judge them. It's not up to us to say who's going to end up in heaven or who's not going to end up in heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying, that we're not to ever judge uh, what the character of an individual is because Jesus goes on just a couple verses later in verse 15 of chapter 7 to say, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Jesus says, hey, be careful. There's these, these bad men coming into church. They're hypocrites, man. They are, are wolves in sheep's clothing. Yes, they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Uh, how will you know them? You'll know them by their fruits. You will know uh, what an individual is all about by the fruit that is in their life. But how can you know what fruit is in their life unless you make a judgment, unless you inspect it? And see, here's the thing. We are to be fruit inspectors, not, not to, to judge uh, you know, their eternal destiny, uh, not unto to condemnation, but we are to be fruit inspectors for identification, right? There's just wisdom in that. And so, man, Paul's saying, I'm not going to let what other people think get me down, but this whole idea of judging, because we hear that as Christians. You hear that from the world. And you usually hear it from people who are being complete idiots. You usually hear it from the teenager who is just, you know, unwavering in his you know, uh, smoking weed and partying and, and hanging out with his girlfriend when he shouldn't. Hey, man, don't judge me. Well, hey, listen, actually, I, I can look in your life and see that that's bad fruit, bro. I'm not judging you eternally. So I, I hope that that doesn't make things more uh, muddy than, than clear. But Paul, basically in this section, is saying, I'm not going to let people's judgment of me uh, bother me. Secondly, he says, uh, I don't even judge myself. And you say, well, that's kind of an, an interesting thing to say, Paul. Uh, in fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. So Paul says, I don't judge myself. Why does Paul not judge himself? Well, because he doesn't really even trust his own estimation of himself. This is not like a free pass where Paul is saying, I don't even judge myself. I just do whatever I want. 
No, Paul is saying, I have a clean conscience. There's nothing in my life that is necessarily out of place, but even that is no guarantee that I'm doing right. I'm not justified by my clear conscience. So Paul says, man, I really don't even trust myself to make a good judgment call, and I think that that's wise. Because so often, I can have a, a kind of a false understanding of how I'm doing. I can think that I'm doing amazing, but really there's things in my life that I'm wrestling with, that I've allowed myself to be blinded about. Sometimes on the other side of that coin, I can be really down on myself, but really I'm headed in the right direction. There's only one person who knows the truth, and, and that is God. So Paul says, you know what, I'm not going to judge myself even because I don't even trust my own estimation of myself. Uh, the other part of that, when Paul says, man, I, I don't judge myself because I don't trust my own estimation, I think it's wise that we not spend too much time in introspection, right? We can look inward and look inward and pick our own lives apart, and really we give the enemy great opportunity to bring condemnation into our lives. We can be hypercritical of ourselves, and that can be a dangerous place too. And again, there's this balance to be found. It's not that we are, are never introspective, right? The Bible tells us that we are to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith. Uh, just a little while down the tracks here in 1 Corinthians 11, we're going to talk about how Paul says, man, examine yourself before you take communion. So what is it, Pastor Jeremy? Are we to examine ourselves or not? We are to examine ourselves, but the key is that we do it before the Lord, that we let the Lord do that work, that we let the Holy Spirit do that work in our lives. And then uh, after Paul talks about, uh, you know, not letting uh, what other people think or the judgments of other people get him down, after he talks about not even trusting his own judgment to judge his own life, and he talks about the true judge, he says, man, the only judge that really matters is the Lord. And that's true for us. The only judge that matters in your life and mine is the Lord Jesus. Because he is the only one who knows the truth. He is the only one who can rightly judge because he's the only one who sees the heart and the motive. And that's what Paul says. He's the one who brings to light the hidden things of darkness and reveals the counsels of the heart. The Lord is the, the only one who can be judged. And, and Paul, he, he warns the Corinthian church. He says, hey, you guys, be careful. Don't judge before it's time to judge. You guys are looking at these different ministries, and you're making a judgment call before the time. When is the time? The time is when the Lord returns and when the Lord sorts everything out. And so, man, Paul says, don't be judgmental of one minister or of that pastor it will all shake out in the end. When the Lord returns, the Lord will evaluate all the deeds and he will work it out. What I love about this little section is that it says that the Lord will, will sort it out. The Lord is ultimately the judge. But then it says, then each one's praise will come from God. That the Lord will find those things that were good and right and that there will be praise and rewards for those and that is encouraging to me. Uh, you know, we get that picture of the, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat judgment that we talked about last week. Um, that, that judgment not unto to condemnation or not for salvation, but for rewards. 
that we as Christians will stand before the Lord. And it won't be this time when all of our sins are brought up and, and hashed out, but it will be a time when those things that were worthy and done with the right motives will be rewarded. And so it'll all come out in the end, Paul says. What's wood, hay, and stubble, man, what was done with wrong motives, the Lord will sort that out. And then what was silver and gold and precious stones, what was done with right motives, man, the Lord will sort that out too. And so uh, we don't have to worry about it. God's judgment is the only judgment that matters. And that's so freeing for us. We don't have to worry about what other people think. We only worry about the, what the Lord thinks. And that's how we should live our lives. We shouldn't be worried about what other think, people think. We shouldn't let what other people think of us change the way we you know, eat or where we go or what we wear or the way we talk. But we should let what the Lord thinks change the way we walk and talk and we should do all things as unto the Lord. And that's what Paul says. Hey, you know what? You guys can be hypercritical of myself or of me, but I don't even trust myself to make a judgment call. I'm just going to trust the Lord. He's going to sort it out, and I'm just going to do all things unto the Lord. And so the Corinthian church, they were judging Paul uh, really uh, with, a, with a wrong heart, but they were also judging Paul uh, with the wrong standard. Verse 6 says, Now these things, brethren... I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other, for who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So the Corinthian church Again, they were judging Paul at the wrong time. They were judging him before the Lord came back, before all things were, were sorted out. But they were also judging Paul uh, according to the wrong standard. They were judging Paul according to their own prejudices. They were judging Paul and the other apostles based on their own preferences and uh, you know, their own opinions. And you know, there's a lot of people in the church today that do that same thing. They will judge a church, or they will judge a ministry, or they will judge a pastor, uh, just using the wrong standards. They, they will say, oh, you know, I like that guy because he's funny, or I, I like that guy because uh, whatever, and they'll fill in all these different things. He's, he's a good business guy or whatever. But what is the standard that we are to use to judge a, a ministry? Oh, Paul is saying uh, the, 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 the standard that you guys are to use is God's word. Uh, he says, uh, Now these things, brethren, I have transferred to Paul, so that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. Not to think, they were thinking beyond what was written. They were taking, and they weren't applying God's word to their situation. They were applying their own feelings to that situation. And so I really love this, this picture and this idea that we see come up in the scripture all the time. That there is a standard of truth. That there is a, a, a right and a wrong. Uh, that we have this moral code given to us by a moral God that is outside of creation. That no matter what aspect of your life you need to, to have kind of a true north uh, bearings, to, to find out what's right and wrong, you can look to the Bible, whether it's your marriage or raising your kids or money or anything. The Bible gives us God's standard for what that is. And we're to take truth 
from Scripture. Do not let culture tell you otherwise. There is a difference between right and wrong. It is not subject to interpretation. Truth is not relative. Truth is not dependent on circumstances. Truth is not dependent on the way that you feel. Truth is, is absolute. See, you have to have an objective reference point for anything, for anything that you're going to say is truth. If you're going to say that that's up, well, you have to have a reference point. What, what makes that up and that down? What makes that left and what makes that right? What makes something bad or what makes something good? An objective standard to measure by. See, if there's not a standard to measure truth by, then it's all just subjective. It's all based on someone's opinion. And one person's opinion is not better than any other person's opinion. And that is the moral just quagmire that we're in as a culture. We say, well, there is no moral absolute. There is no absolute truth. We fall into this trap of moral relativism where everything is relative. What's right for me is right for you and what's right for, or yeah, what's right for me is right for me and what's right for you is right for you. And we have this situation where everybody has their opinion about what is right because we've thrown away the moral compass that actually tells us. We've thrown away the standard. And so we're all stumbling around in our culture like Jack Sparrow following his crazy, broken, drunken compass to what his heart desires. That's what happens when we discard uh, the, the, the truth, the standard. And it's interesting, I was reading a, uh, it was a survey that was done, and it was a survey about morality. And 65% of Americans believe that morality comes from some place other than God, that it comes from uh, our own conscience or from society or from science. See, that, that it comes from within, basically. There's no objective standard by which to measure truth. And as a result, 80% of those people said that they consider themselves very moral with like 18% of the others saying that they were uh, just plain old moral. So almost everybody said, well, I'm very moral, if not just moral moral. More than half of those people who said that they were very moral also admitted to cheating on a partner within the last five years. You say, well, what is going on? And then more than half of the people who took that deal thought that everybody else was immoral. That America was losing the morality. So this is what we, we have reduced ourselves to. Uh, we have no objective standard whereby to measure truth. We have it. It's God's word, but we've abandoned it. So now all truth is subjective to the way that we feel. And so now, hey, I'm right and you're wrong. We all have our own opinions and we're just going around in a circle. What a disaster. And that's why when you look at the, all the problems that we have, we're arguing about what a woman is and whether or not a child can mutilate their bodies, or whether it's right or wrong to murder babies in the womb. We say, oh, how, can, how is this not obvious? Because there's no standard that we live by anymore. Uh, be careful. Paul is telling the, the Corinthian church, hey, you guys have missed the mark. You're not using the standard to make the right judgments anymore. Uh, never lose the standard of uh, God's word. And so the Corinthians, uh, verse 7 it says that they were puffed up. They were puffed up, uh, the end of verse 6, uh, 
puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you differ from one another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did not receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? So the, the church at Corinth, remember, they're fighting their way to the top. Everybody thought they were better than everybody else. And they operated in the, the, the Corinthian church there in spiritual giftings. And so they're all thinking they, that they are amazing. They're all puffed up with pride. But Paul says, he asks them a series of questions. He says, so you guys are all, all full of pride, but what actually makes you different from one another? Why, why are you guys different? Why do some of you have these giftings and others of you don't? Well, that's an easy one because that's the way God made it. Uh, so where's their pride in that? How can you say you're amazing because you have this gift and they're not amazing because they don't when that's the way the Lord made it? Paul continues on and says, what do you have that you did not receive? The idea there is that every gift and good thing that they had, they received. It was a gift of grace from the Lord. And the same is true today. Every good thing that we enjoy, whether it's your wealth or your health or your family or whatever, every good thing is a gift of grace from the Lord. And that comes against our pride. Some of us, even as I said that, everything that you have was a gift from God. It wasn't something that you say, oh, wait a second there, Pastor Jeremy. I worked hard. It was my ingenuity. It was my business sense. I'm a self-made man. I say, all right, well, who gave you the business sense? Who gave you the opportunity? Who gave you the physical ability? Who gave you the artistic talent? Have you ever thought about why it is your soul was born in this body, in this country, during this time? I geek out on stuff like that. I'm a weirdo. I think, Lord, why wasn't I born in Africa 100 years ago? Uh, you can't help what time you were born and what continent you were born into, that we were born into this land of opportunity and wealth. And Paul's saying everything that you guys have is a gift. And, and then, then furthermore, why do you glory as if you uh, haven't received it? Why do you act like you've earned it? So here's, it puts things in perspective. The Corinthian, Corinthian church is walking around like they're just amazing. And Paul says, you haven't earned any of that. Everything that you think makes you amazing is a gift from God. So quit it. Quit being puffed up. Quit being proud. So now Paul gets serious. He starts bringing some, some, some hefty correction in verse 8. He says to the Corinthian church, he says, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed, I could wish that you did reign, and that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscoring of all things until now. So Paul here, he is laying the sarcasm on thick to the Corinthians. After kind of correcting them in their pride and why do you choose one guy over another and you're, you're judging before the time and, 
and you're using the wrong standard and, and why do you act like you're amazing when all that you have was not earned but it was given to you? And now Paul says, oh, but look at you guys. Oh, the Corinthians, you guys are, are rich and you guys are kings and you're full. I wish I was like you guys, Paul says. Uh, but we are, he says, as the apostle, we're just fools and you're wise. We're weak and you're strong. We are dishonored and, and you are distinguished. We're nobodies appointed to death. We're made a spectacle, Paul says, of himself. But you guys have it all going on. And it's interesting that that word for spectacle is the word that we get uh, theater from today. And it was, it was the, really the arena where the Romans would execute their prisoners. And so when Paul says, man, we're last and we're made a spectacle, at the end of uh, this parade, so when a, a Roman general was victorious, they would come marching back into town and they would have this big parade and uh, the soldiers would come in after the general and they'd all be celebrating. At the end of the line would be all this, the, the, the prisoners. And those prisoners would go to the Colosseum, to the theater, to the spectacle, where they would be fed to the lions. And at the end of that line, right, there was this situation to where you kind of hoped to be as bad as it was, you wanted to be at the front of the line of those getting executed because you're being fed to hungry animals and then at least you knew that they would just chomp you up and eat you. If you were at the end of the line and all the lions were full, then the soldiers would have sport with you and they were worse than the lions. And so that's what Paul is saying here. You get the, the idea? He's saying we're like the filth, like we're dung. He's saying this to the Corinthian church. They knew that they weren't better than Paul. They knew that uh, they weren't more honorable than Paul and the rest of the apostles. And Paul, really through this sarcasm, is kind of just saying, hey, listen, my, 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 you Corinthians, you seem to have it all. You know, uh, isn't it funny that we apostles have nothing? It would have been something that would have embarrassed them as they, they read it. Uh, but his purpose wasn't to, to make fun of them. It was to discipline them. It was to get them to think about what they were doing, to really warn them of the significance of the pride that they had fallen into. And so, Paul here continues on and says, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere, uh, every church. And so Paul says, I led you guys to the Lord. I'm your spiritual dad. I'm your spiritual father. Now, this doesn't mean that we call the apostles or pastors or anybody father. Jesus makes that clear in Matthew 23. He says, do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. I don't know how the Catholic Church gets around that. They have, we're not to call anybody father. What Paul is saying is that I'm like a father to you. It doesn't mean either that if you lead somebody to Christ that you have this authority over them like you are their spiritual father. Paul's just saying, hey, listen, man, I have this sense of responsibility and obligation. Although we don't have a sense of authority over people when we lead them to the Lord, we do have a special relationship with them, an obligation. That's what Paul is saying. I have this sense of, of being a father to you guys. 
uh, in 1 Thessalonians 2.7, this is what Paul says, but we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had been dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That's what Paul's saying. Man, we have this special relationship and have this obligation, a father figure for you guys to teach you and to protect you and to build you up and to train you and also to correct you, Paul would say. But then he goes on to say, man, I'm an example. Follow me. Or to follow Paul as he follows the Lord. He clears that up later uh, on in 1 Corinthians. He says, follow me as I follow the Lord. We don't follow Paul just because he's the, the guy. He's the dude. We follow him as he follows the Lord. But see, that's the other thing that uh, a father does. He's a good example. Right? We are to, to teach and to lead and to discipline, but we're also to be Good examples. It's interesting. I came home the other day and, and, and Casey was, she was actually rightfully upset with me. And she said, you know, Abram was playing with his Legos and he, 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 he acts these things out. Oh, you know, bad guys and good guys, you know. And, and he, he takes his one Lego guy and says, to the other, oh, why are you being such a, a jerk? Uh, only he didn't say jerk. He, he repeated something that I had said. Now, it's not profanity, but... It's not something that I want to repeat in church either, so I really shouldn't have said it. The day before, we were going to Medford, and there was this guy, crazy man, driving this truck. And he was so, now, you guys know I'm an impatient driver. This guy made me look like I was going on a Sunday drive. And he was weaving in and out of traffic, and he was going around these big rigs on the, the, the trucker lane, which I have, we don't even need to get into that. All I'm saying is I was like, man, this is, guy's crazy. And he was almost crashing into people who were broken down because it was all snowy. And so I got mad, and I was like, oh, man, this guy's being a, a jerk. And then Abram repeats me a couple of, don't forget that there are people looking up to you in your life. Your kids, physically, like your neighbors. But don't forget about those people who you have this relationship with spiritually, who look up to you, who follow your lead in the Lord. It was so convicting to me, I was like, oh, man, buddy, you can't say that. Daddy was wrong when he said that. And it, Paul is just saying, hey, look, as, as a dad, I'm your guys' dad, and to protect and to build up, to correct, but also to be an example. Man, let us be mindful that we're an example. And uh, then he also says, uh, I'm sending Timothy to you. I like that because it reminds us that this pastoral thing is a group effort. I love that I'm a pastor, and I love to meet with you guys and counsel people and hang out. But I'm also so glad that I'm not in it alone. I'm so grateful that the Lord has raised up Pastor Dave and Pastor Scott. You guys have some amazing pastors at this church. And the elders, Mike and, and, and Kurt and, and Gary and Jeremy. Man, what a, a great thing. Uh, I, I like that we have this example where Paul says, man, I can't get there right away, but I'm sending Timothy to you. Uh, it's good that we have... Uh, pastors uh, around us. And then we'll knock out this uh, last little section. Now, some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. 
But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills, and I will know not the word of those who are puffed up with the power. For the kingdom of God is not word, but in power. What do you want? Shall I come to you with the rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? So, whoo, Paul, he's getting real. See, some of the people at the Corinthian church thought, oh, Paul, you're not going to come. You're not going to show your face here and deal with us. And Paul says, we can do this the easy way, or we can do this the hard way. I can come in love, or I can come uh, kind of bringing the rod. And, uh, and that's where we'll kind of leave off tonight. But it, it is interesting. You know, we kind of scale back and look at this, the church of Corinth. They were so filled up with, with pride, and they were making judgment calls. And, 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 man, let us never fall into that place. Let us be those who aren't judgmental uh, of a ministry uh, according to our own, you know, uh, opinions or our own likes or dislikes, but that we would use the standard of God's word, that we wouldn't be hypercritical of a ministry. Remember that they belong to the Lord. And uh, man, let us just keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and not find ourselves in the situation that the Corinthian church found themselves in. And let us not worry about what people think. Let us not be hyper, uh, you know, judgmental of ourselves. Let us be those who say, man, I'm going to do all things unto the Lord, for he is the ultimate judge. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. Amen? So, Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for tonight. Help us, Lord, to, to walk it out. And, uh, Lord, help us again to keep our eyes fixed on you. It can be easy to get sucked into the... The, the things of this world, Lord, into being judgmental, Lord, into uh, worrying about other people judging us, about judging ourselves. But Lord, again, I just pray that we would be people who would look to you as the one that we answer to and that, that your standard, that your word would be the, the thing that, that really influences our life, that we would truly do all things as unto you. Uh, we love you, Lord. Be with us and bless us as we go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this teaching of God's Word presented by Siskiyou Christian Fellowship. We pray it's blessed you and given you a greater understanding of the Bible. To learn more about us, visit siskiyouchristianfellowship.com.